The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
I was thinking about what I want to talk about today, I got to thinking about old songs, old hymns. And that one we just sang, I Surrender All. That was one of the ones I thought about. <clears throat> There's another song that most of us know it. It's called Just As I Am. I want to read the verses. We know the tune, but sometimes we don't think about the words that are in it. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. <clears throat> Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come. <clears throat> we all knew that song as soon as I said the words, just as I am. But that's not just a title. Just as I am means where we are right now. God doesn't wait for us to be perfect and then come to him. We, we can't do that. <clears throat> you know, in the traditions of religion, um, this song has been labeled as an invitation song. I'm very thankful for the way that Franklin and Don close out the service each Sunday. You know, what do they say? You know, if you need our prayers, we're here. It's not a walk down the aisle if you need Jesus. You know, sometimes we kind of get to thinking about that. When the last song is sung, we look around and, well, who needs Jesus today? <laughs> we all do. If we really thought about, like what this song says, and opened our heart, we would all be here. We all need the prayers. It's, e it's real easy to let our pride get in the way. You know, we're good people. And so, you know, we don't need to come down there because our pride won't let us. Jesus doesn't want our pride. He wants us just as I am. We sing it, but too often we don't really believe it. I want to read James chapter 4, starting in verse 7, the first part of verse 8. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. That's one of the most comforting promises in this whole book, especially with the things that we're attacked with every day. You know? Humble yourselves. Come to God. Nine times out of ten, when there's a problem in our life, what's it from? Our pride. If we will humble ourselves and come to God, He will come close to you. And when you have that connection, there's a peace that knows no understanding. I mean, man cannot understand it. As we partake this communion, we are coming to God because He gave us the greatest gift. <clears throat> just as I am, come just as you are. It's already been done. The battle's won. Salvation is ours. We draw close to God in this time. He will draw close to us. We praise Him, we thank Him, and we worship Him for something we could never do on our own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, th we're thankful for old hymns that remind us how great Your love is for us. Please forgive us when sometimes we don't think about the words and we just sing the tunes. 
we know that these are ways that you speak to us. Father, as we partake of this communion now, remind us of what it truly is. That you loved us so much, you gave us your son. He was tortured. He bled and he was killed so that we can walk through those gates into your mansions forever. And Father, please remind us that you don't want us to come alone. Help us to be your light in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are two types of people in this world. Those that clear their notifications and those who exist something like this. I cringe every time I see that. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You know who you are if you exist like this. We are bombarded, absolutely bombarded with notifications every single day, right? We're, we're bombarded with updates, but back in the day, updates meant that you had to plug in your phone. Now, some of you kiddos don't know anything about this, but some of you who are of my age understand this intimately, right? You had to plug in your phone, you had to download the update, and that was going to take a really, really really long time. And heaven forbid you unplug your phone in the middle of an update. And that's the power of the reset. If you did that, that is worst case scenario. You lose pretty much everything, right? At that point, it's a paperweight, a really expensive paperweight. Well, the Motorola Razr hit the market in 2005. I just took some of you back, didn't I? Mm, my OGs out there. Aluminum case, 0.3 megapixel video recorder. It's right there. 5.5 megabytes. That's with an M, not a G of memory aluminum frame and back in the day anyone who was anyone had one of these phones right and it still fits in my hand just like a glove there are two types of people in this world those that believe their best days are ahead of them and those that think their best days are behind them. And regardless of your belief, this much is true. You're going to have to fight for your future. Welcome online, on the radio, those of you that are joining us here in uh, the sanctuary. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to share with you as we finish out our identity theft series. And I, and I love this quote from last week. It says, the aim of your life is important. We see that verse associated in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. And this whole identity theft series has been the idea that the enemy wants to steal our identity. And we have to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. The aim of your life, the trajectory, the, the purpose, the way that you are headed, these are all important. Let me ask you a different question. Do you feel important today? I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles, on your app. Psalm 139 is where we will be this morning. Psalm 139. Very familiar passage to many of us. Verses 13 and 14 is where we're going to be as well. Familiar passages, beloved passages to many of us today. And I, and I hope to paint a picture of a God who has loved you from the very beginning and is not through with you yet. If we have breath in our lungs, there is still purpose for us in the kingdom of God. Of God. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, is where we will be. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. For you formed my inward parts. 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And this is God. Infinitely powerful and intensely personal. We see the manual dexterity, right? The, the hand of God acting, right? Forming, creating. We see this work of him as he pays attention to what he is doing, as he hones in on each and every one of us. So this passage is saying, in a nutshell, you know everything that there is to know about me because you created me. But God doesn't stop there. There are three attributes of God that we know. He is omnipotent, right? He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. We heard that in one of the songs, the worship songs earlier today. Omniscient means all-knowing, and he is also omnipresent. He's everywhere, which could lead to some questions, right? Do I really want God to know everything about me? Like, is God some sort of... A creeper or a stalker that is peering in on my life, that is just watching everything that I do. I don't see him like that, and I'll explain to you in just a second, but I believe that we don't let others completely in. I believe there is a select few people. Now, some of us are transparent, that's fine, but I would be willing to bet that we don't let others completely in. It is a very small circle of people that know everything there is to know about us, right? Because if they knew everything about us, we're worried that they may run for the hills. And I don't believe I'm alone in this fear. And people come and go. They come in and out of our lives. And they leave when we want them to stay. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it. And sometimes we don't ever get an answer. But the reality is that in this life. But the psalmist's hope here rests entirely with the God who knows him. And this is the reason why I love that God knows everything about me. God knows everything every dumpster fire moment. He knows every misstep. He knows every failure. He knows every wicked thought. And he chooses to stay. He chooses. So that becomes the God who is near to us is the God who knows us, knows us completely. So how well does he Know us. I'm so glad you asked that question because it's about to get nerdy. Okay, so settle in just for a second. The psalmist says, you knit me, you wove me. And we imagine a crocheting, God crocheting, this DNA double helix that makes us us. This is a representation of that double helix. Now, it has a twisted structure, and within our DNA is a unique chemical code that guides our development, our growth, and our health. And our bodies are made up of millions of cells. Millions. And each has their own complete set of instructions for making us. Every single cell is stamped with this DNA, these instructions for our bodies. The human genome is made up of 3.2 billion bases of DNA. Bases nucleotides, right? And we know this A, C, G, and T, adenine, cytosine, thymine, and guanine. These are the four letters that make up our DNA, and they're in different arrangements. 3.2 billion. Now, that's a really big number, right? I don't math well, so let's break that down into something that's a little bit more manageable. If we took all 3.2 billion letters, the A, C, G, and T in different arrangements, and we read them. One a second. 
24 hours a day, it would take us a century to recite them all. Here's the kicker. All living things have a unique genome. It, it's what makes you you. It, in, in the Bible, when we take from the ancient Hebrew, there's kind of a difference in the translations because it's easier to read in the English language if we add a couple of words here and there, right? It just sounds more complete. But if we were to take a look at the ancient Hebrew without this English translation, it would essentially say this, I am fearfully wonderful. This is a representation of the genome sequence of our bodies. I am fearfully wonderful. So do you feel fearfully wonderful today? Fearfully means reverent. Fearfully means God took his time with you. Can you imagine the God who spins galaxies smiled when he created you? You bring him so much joy. Wonderful, unique, one of a kind. There is not another you. But let's go back to my phone analogy, right? Let's say you're walking down the street and you've got this Motorola Razor. Now, this Motorola Razor does pretty much all I need it to do, right? If you know anything about me, you know it's probably a better idea to text me than to call me, right? If you call me, that means something's wrong. If I call you, that means something's wrong, right? So I don't really need a ton of numbers. This Motorola Razor has everything I need in this life, but maybe I'm walking down the street and out of the corner of my eye, I see it. It is an iPhone 12 Pro. Max. Now, this bad boy has a 12 megapixel camera as opposed to the 0.3. This is a stainless steel frame. The memory on this is 256 gigabytes. That's a G, not an M, right? And this thing looks really nice. If only I had that phone. If only I had that upgrade, then life would be perfect. But this is where my analogy for my phone breaks down because we don't get an upgrade like that. We can't trade in our life and who we are for something else. And here's the other thing. We don't let people completely in, especially on social media, right? How many pictures did you take before you posted. An iPhone still has updates every single day to its apps. An iPhone still has firmware updates. Firmware is the software that runs your phone. An iPhone may look perfect on the surface, but it's not. And I'm not talking about phones anymore. And we walk around and we say, if I only had that life, If I only had those experiences, if I only had those abilities, then life would be fine. But you are you, and there's only one you. And God calls you to do the things that only you can do. And maybe you've wondered in here this week, and maybe you're struggling with a broken relationship. Maybe it's almost fallen apart. A dumpster fire if there ever was one. And maybe, just maybe, you had high hopes for the future, but turns out it looks like you may have to just settle. This is, this is what it's going to be. Your hopes, your, your visions, your dreams have all been replaced by something else. And you've decided to just give up. The enemy wants to steal our identity. The enemy wants to sell us the lie that our best days are behind us. 
the enemy wants to say, those, those dreams, those hopes that I put inside of you, they're not going to come to fruition. You can go ahead and forget about them. And the biggest lie the enemy ever told, well, nobody will miss me if I'm gone. But you matter, and the world is a brighter place with you in it. And the people that surround you need you. They need the best you. And this is where Christ comes in. Because Christ redeems our past, doesn't he? He recreates our future. He says, all of those things that I put in you so long ago, I'm not finished with you yet. If we have breath in our lungs. I believe that there's something that we need to hear. Five words that make up a sentence that can change our entire lives. And it's so simple, but I think that sometimes we just have to get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say this, God does not make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. He didn't make a mistake when he created you. He created you exactly the way he wanted you to be. And this changes everything. You make you, you. This genome, this sequence is unique. You are, you're valuable, you're loved, you're wanted. So there's something that happens from the get-go when we're created. We see that God chooses to stay. But then um, when we come to Christ, there is something else that happens, right? And Paul talks about it and he says, we are a new creation. And so if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17, we'll take a look at what that looks like. 2 Corinthians 5, and this is a passage that uh, Don has been in um, a couple of times, a few times in this series, talking about we are ambassadors for Christ. So, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the page number is 1148 if you needed it, so. That preacher joke always hits. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has Come. I I love what it says in a different translation. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. There, in the place of what once was, there is a new creation. And that means becoming more like Christ. Don said this last week, come as you are and be transformed by him, right? We don't have to get everything together before we come to Christ. We, We come as we are. And then Christ does the transformation in our heart. And I love this Max Lucado quote. It goes something like this. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to let you stay that way. There should be life change when we meet Jesus. Our our lives should look different. Our hearts should look different. Our thoughts should look different. So what does different look like in the Bible? Well, there's several different examples of new creation, but I don't want to take all day, and we don't have that time. So I settled on three. And the first was the man whose name was Legion. To set the scene, we see the boat floating onto the water. Jesus and disciples are on the boat, a thick fog rolling up from the water. And the fog is starting to mist slowly over this graveyard. Cue the scary music. And the disciples look down and they see chains. But there's nothing in the chains. And they're trying to figure out what got out of the chains. And they hear a blood-curdling scream, right? This is my paraphrase. I have a very vivid imagination. And the disciples are looking at one another, trying to figure out which guy's running first, right? And Jesus steps up. And the man whose name was Legion started this way. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth. And by the end of the story, Jesus has commanded the demons named Legion to get out of the man, go somewhere else. And we see the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, completely changed. And he asks a question. 
can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, you can't. And I wonder in that moment, if the man whose name was Legion hung his head just a bit, I figured as much. It's okay. But Jesus isn't finished. He says, you can't go because I want you to stay. I want you to share this story with everyone you come into contact with. Most likely, this is the first missionary in that area to tell others about Jesus Christ. We see the woman at the well in Samaria. This woman comes to the well at midday, right? She's coming there because it's the heat of the day. Nobody in their right mind is going to come get water in the heat of the day. So she knows she's going to be alone. And she gets about a few feet up and she looks up and there's somebody there. That's the worst, isn't it? Like I was just hoping that nobody was going to be here and now I have to talk to people. That's not me, by the way. Maybe it is. Anyway, she's at the well and Jesus speaks up and they start having a conversation and and she continues to try to divert the attention from herself. But Jesus knows everything about her. He knows about her husband, all of them. He knows about her past, this woman of ill repute. And he says, I have the water where you'll never thirst again. And she says, I want that water. And by the end of the story, the woman at the well leaves isolation for the crowded town to tell others about Jesus. Saul, the the bloodthirsty prosecutor, seemed like Saul's favorite thing to do was drag Christians kicking and screaming out of their homes. Put them on trial and everybody knew what the verdict would be. Doing the Lord's work and that's what he thought. And one day he was sent to Damascus and on the road there a light shone brightly, and a voice from heaven came down. Saul, why do you persecute me? And at the end of the story, Saul, Paul, becomes one of the most incredible messengers for the work of Jesus Christ. He, he writes letters to the churches, encouraging Only Jesus can take somebody that was at odds with him and completely change his heart. Kingdom work. All of these were were changed, were transformed by Christ. I've been reading a couple of books by Erwin McManus. He's a pastor at Mosaic, and I I really love the way that he writes. Uh, Very thought-provoking. And he had this quote, and it says... We do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. If you think about that for a little while, it makes sense, right? The world we see is shaped by our perceptions, shaped by our experiences, shaped by the things we read, consume. The world is not as it is. The world is as we are when we see it. So do you see yourself transformed today? Do you see yourself as a new creation in Christ today? Maybe you are walking around with a Motorola razor and you are listening to these experiences of incredible transformation and you're saying, I wish I had that. That looks exactly how it's supposed to be and mine doesn't shape up to it. But not everything is perfect. I wonder if uh, anyone came up to the woman of Samaria while she was getting ready to share about Jesus Christ and instead said, wait a minute, aren't you... 
Or maybe the man whose name was Legion was walking down the street one day just looking for somebody to share with. His smile from ear to ear. You could see him beaming from a mile away. And he sees this woman walking closer and closer. She's it, I know, as she crosses the street and shields her son's eyes. Do you imagine that his gaze drops just a bit as he was beginning to form the words to share his testimony, to share the story of Jesus and his transformation? I've often wondered why God chooses to forget and we can't seem to let go. But I need to share something with you today. Letting go of the past doesn't mean pretending it's never happened. <laughs> this, is our, this is our issue, isn't it? This is our problem. Something horrible happens in our past. There's, there's a bad circumstance or experience. Lord knows I've had my series of mistakes, and I'm not talking 10, 20 years ago. I've had those too. I'm talking in the last week, right? But letting go of our past doesn't mean we put it in a box and we never think about it again. It doesn't mean we don't process it or or, or deal with it, right? We're not supposed to pretend that it never happens. And this is the beauty of the cross. Because the beauty of the cross says that you will remember your past, but you will also remember the one that delivered you from your past. You will also remember the one who redeemed your past. Changing, transforming your motivations, your way of life. He knows you. Every single thing about you. And he chooses to stay. But God not only stays. This is the beauty of the cross. He takes all of those things you'd like to forget. Your past, your hurts, your misgivings, the wrongs you've done to others. He redeems them. He redeems them. Now there's another side to this that we need to address, right? Our choices are not only our own. This is something we know. This is something we're dealing with as we've thought about choices that have been made for us and choices we have made. They're they're never our own. There is always collateral damage, right? Our choices affect those around us. Even the smallest choices we make affect those around us. Don't believe me? Try not brushing your teeth for a few days, right? Something so small and insignificant makes a difference. Our choices affect those around us. So if our choices have that much impact, that means we have to choose to see Jesus. We have to choose to see ourselves through His eyes. We have to choose to tell a better story not just to the people that we pass on the street, but to ourselves. I'll tell you, I've been doing this for, I don't know, eight years. And my past was a long time ago, the stuff that I'm trying to forget. And every once in a while I'll be reminded of it, but by and large, nobody mentions it. They know I'm different. But in here, That is a totally different game. And here, at any given moment, I'm getting beat down and I'm going to have to fight for my future. And I'm willing to bet good money. I mean, we're not supposed to bet we're in church, but you know what I'm saying. We are going to Red Arrow. I'm sorry. (laughs) I've gone off the rails. We're going to have to tell others and ourselves, you're right, that was me, but that's not me anymore. It's not me anymore. 
It may have been me a week ago, but that's not me anymore. It may have been me yesterday, but that's not any me anymore. It may have been me 20 years ago, but that's not me anymore. We tell a better story about how Jesus has redeemed our past and equipped our future. When I doubt it, Lord, remind me I'm wonderfully made. You know, uh, there, there are two resets on a phone. Even these phones that are, give or take, 15 years apart from each other have the same two basic resets. There's a factory reset and there's a hard reset. So um, this sermon, I called it the power of the reset. So what is the power of the reset? Okay, so factory reset, right, is worst case scenario. Factory reset erases everything you have on this device and sets it back to the default before you put any information on it at all, right? It erases everything and it starts over. Now, hard reset, hard reset's different. So if you think about it here, hard reset is forcing an app to close. Hard reset is turning your phone off and on when it freezes. I have an iPhone. I don't experience that problem, but I've heard that it happens, right? You turn your phone on and off. You, you take away your network settings. A hard reset essentially sets it back to normal, sets it back to the way it was right before the bug or the issue occurred. That's what the hard reset does. But our reset with Christ is somewhere in between those two. So we're a new creation in Christ. Our our future is in Him. And He wipes our sins away. We're, we're, We're made new. But we don't forget. That past that we had is not erased. We live with it. Every single day. But our past shapes our perceptions. It shapes our relationships. It shapes those people we come into contact with. You know why there are some people that can talk to some others easier? It's because they've gone through the same thing. You know why somebody can counsel a busted up marriage? Because maybe they've struggled with their marriage too. You know, somebody that can talk with someone that has had chronic pain year after year after year because they've been through it too. This is the beauty of the cross. We are able to share with one another and we take our experiences, those things that the enemy meant for evil, and Jesus turns it into good. We're able to relate and together we are stronger. As the team comes up, this is why I say we must fight for our future. You know, I I used to think fighting for my future just meant there's a list of things I shouldn't do, right? There's a list of things I shouldn't do. There's a list of things I should do. But then more and more, even in the last couple of months, I've realized that my, my, my kids are watching me. They're starting to say the same things I say. They're starting to kind of do, fall into the same patterns I fall into. Right? If I get overwhelmed, I, I, I shut down. And, I, and my choices are not only my own. So every time I shut down when I'm overwhelmed, tells them that the only way to deal with anything is to shut down. But I have to tell a better story. I have to give myself permission to be not okay, and then take a step forward. I have to continue to pursue those hopes and dreams that God has put inside my heart because my choices are not only my own. And people are watching me. People are watching you. Every day, You're going to have to fight for your future. You're going to have to fight the voices in your head. 
You're going to fight the past that tries to drag you back there. And you're going to have to realize that your, your best days are ahead. <laughs> there is more in store for you. In Jesus, there is more grace and power and forgiveness and love and mercy. There is new. There is hope. There is love. Maybe that's what you needed to hear the whole time. It's 100% true. 100% true. The power of the reset is that Christ is transforming our hearts day after day after day. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.